the Humanity Church podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 30, it says, Hear, O Israel, or hear, O Pomona. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Have you ever been in a relationship and you're wondering, what do you want from me? I know we talked about this two weeks ago, but at times we're in relationships and we don't know what the other person wants with us or for us. And sometimes people want our time. Sometimes people want our energy. Sometimes people want our resources. They want our affirmation or our money. And it's helpful to know what the other person wants. Now, it it can be easy in a physical relationship because you can just ask the other person. It can be much more difficult when it comes to God. Have you ever thought, God, what do you want from me? Just tell me, what do you want? Well, I love that Jesus actually makes it quite easy. He, He answers that question for us. And what God actually longs with us is love that we would devote ourselves to loving him specifically with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And then if we had to focus on anything, this is what we would focus on in our spiritual journey. Which is so interesting to me that when Jesus has asked what is the greatest command, he responds with this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because it's actually the one command that you cannot command someone to do. I mean, you think about it. You can command behavior of someone. You can enforce someone into certain behaviors that look like love. You can command someone into obedience. You can command someone to do exactly what you want, when you want it, how you want it. You can command all kinds of things, but ironically, the one thing that you cannot command someone is to love. That that is a decision. That is a choice that one must make. This is William Wallace saying, you can take our land, but you cannot take our freedom, right? (laughs) Because I choose whether or not I love God. And so even this command that God gives us, the greatest command that we could ever give our lives to, is an invitation into relationship with us. It's an invitation for us to choose him. See, because ironically, Jesus came with a powerful invitation and a powerful declaration saying, oh, by the way, he's already chosen you. That God's already loved you. And that's why I'm here. That's the whole purpose of Jesus' existence. That's why he's there to move himself, to live a life that was so beautiful and so powerful, demonstrating what it fully meant to be human, and then dying on a cross and coming back to life so that we could know that God loved us and we could experience that with him. And now he invites us to love him back. This is what the scriptures say. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice for us. And it's in response to that love that we love him back. And so the last few weeks, we've been taking a look as we've been devoting ourselves to this season of seeing God move in our lives and in our community. We've been looking at what it looks like to love God with all of our heart 
And last week, Melinda did a beautiful job of explaining what it looks like to love the Lord our God with all of our soul. And today, we're going to look at what it looks like to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. Now, we talked about how heart gets really mixed up. Because usually when we say love the Lord your God with all your heart, people assume that has to do with emotions. That has to do with feelings. That we really need to hunker down and love God with everything inside of us. That we need to have all kinds of feelings and emotions and passions connected to that. But really, when the scriptures say to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, he's talking about our will, the center of operations, the core of who we are, that part of us that guides and directs our life. And I think just like we get confused around heart, mind is probably the one that we also get the most mixed up on. There's so many misconceptions around what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all of your mind. See, because most people think that when God commands us to love him with our mind, that what he's saying is, look, what I want you to have is the right amount of information. What I want you to have is the correct theology in your mind and use that as you think about me. We think that when, when God wants us to love him with our mind, that it's endless studying of history and biblical language and context and that we need to memorize scriptures and nothing's wrong with that. In fact, that is part of what it looks like to love the Lord your God with all your mind, but it's actually a very small part. In fact, I would say it's a pathway to eventually loving the Lord your God with all your heart. And in fact, this idea that if we have the right information, that if we have the right knowledge about God, then we are loving him with our mind, actually came from the Reformation, an era in human history in the Western world where knowledge was power and it was scarce. And so the educated were called upon to educate those who did not know. See, today we, we, we are lucky because if we don't know something, we have YouTube or Wikipedia or school. We know where to go to find the information, but back then you didn't. And so knowledge was considered the highest form of power, and it was considered one of the highest forms of elevation. And this is where this idea is birthed from. And so we've inherited this system that says, I can believe the right things, and that means that I am somehow close to God or connected with him, or intimate with him, or have a relationship with him. See, here's the problem with that, is that you can know all about the theology around forgiveness and never actually forgive. You can know what it looks like to be kind and never actually show compassion. You can look like, you can know what it looks like to give and have all of the studies and theological education being given to you around why you should give and, and why it's important and how it moves our hearts and never actually become a generous person. You can have all the data in the world and it will actually never move you towards the person that you were designed to become. And this is one of the reasons why Paul in the scriptures says that knowledge puffs up. It makes us arrogant. It gives us an inflated view of ourselves. But love actually builds us up. And this is the call to love him with our mind, not just to have knowledge about him. And there's a world of difference. See, loving God with our mind certainly includes knowing the right information. We just had letters yesterday, which was a powerful, powerful comeback, if you will. We used to do letters three years ago before the pandemic, and it's, it's, it's a three-hour deep dive into the scriptures in one of the most relevant, powerful ways, if I may say so myself, because I lead it. And so we got to dive into some information about the scriptures, but 
in that context, we talk about how you could have this information and have it never transform your life. And so it's important to know why we're actually engaging in the scriptures. So a, a small amount of understanding and loving God has to do with getting the right information. Because if I don't have the right information, I actually don't know what he longs for. I don't know how to live. I don't know how to engage my life and relationships around me. But again, having the right information is the pathway to loving God with our mind. See, here's where I think the church has gone really wrong, is that we have become rich in knowledge and we have become mentally weak. That we have become incredibly weak in our thoughts and it has created all kinds of havoc. It has created hypocrisy, it has created powerlessness, it has created arrogance and fear and anxiety and stagnation. It's created a community of people that know all the right things and have no idea how to live it out. Or, or maybe... It's not that we don't know how to live it out. It's that we're unwilling to live it out because there's a cost that comes to knowing how to love the Lord our God with our mind and the willingness to engage in it. And I truly believe that if we can love God with all of our mind, that it is the pathway to find our way back to our inheritance, the beautiful, rich inheritance that God longs to give us. In Romans chapter 2, it's the quintessential verse on transforming our mind. And I know I preach on this verse a lot, but I have to keep going back to it because it is, it is a core part of understanding how we are made into the image of God. And it says in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, here's the thing that Paul assumes about us. Paul's the one who wrote this, and he, he, he assumes of us that we are actively in the process of being conformed to certain patterns in this world around us. Now, for some of you, you're like, whatever. For those of you like me who are a nonconformist, that bugs you. You don't want to be conformed. Don't put me in a box. Don't tell me who I am. Don't tell me what I'm doing or not doing. But Paul actually says the human condition is actually the default position, is to follow along with predictable patterns that are presented to us in the world. Now, here's the thing. When, when we talk about the patterns that we get conformed to, oftentimes when the church or pastors talk about this. They talk about external behavior patterns, like things that we do that the world does around us and that we ought not do those anymore because we're being conformed to the world. And there's all kinds of sayings. My, my grandmother used to say, don't cuss, don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do, you know, because, because there's a focus on if I transform my behavior, then somehow that means that I'm loving God. Now, there is a certain aspect of that, but here's the thing. If the solution to remove yourself from being transformed by predictable patterns in the world has to do with renewing your mind, then guess what? The patterns are also living inside of your mind. That that is the pattern that we are thrown to is certain patterns of thought that then impact how we engage the world around us. See, religion will demand that you transform your behavior, but what Jesus, what the scriptures invite us into is a transformation about how we think about ourselves, about others, about God, about the world, about our circumstances. And so the solution that Paul gives us here is to renew our mind, to make it new again. See, here's what I found in 
almost 20 years of counseling and coaching thousands of individuals is that while human beings are capable of endless amounts of creativity and uniqueness, I fully believe that. I think that the, the, the capacity for human uniqueness and creativity is endless. What I have found is that when we human beings refuse to renew our minds, we actually become pretty predictable. Our patterns actually move towards very predictable places. Now, I know when we're in those places, we think that we're the only one who struggles. Have you ever thought that before? I'm the only freak of nature on the planet that has these issues. I'm the only weird one who struggles with these thoughts or struggles with these patterns or struggles with these behaviors. But, you know, the reality is, is that you're not actually that unique. That human beings are actually quite predictable where we go. And when we ignore the renewing of our mind, we fall into very predictable patterns. Patterns like fear and anxiety. Patterns like scarcity, where we find ourselves anxious that there's not enough or that all we have is what's in front of us that what we can see we find ourselves in lies and distortions of truths about who we are and about who others are and we find ourselves using phrases like i always or i never or i can never or people will never or i'm the one who always sounds familiar and then we're thrown into all kinds of comparison with one another and envy and judgment and hate. And these are the predictable patterns that our mind gets thrown to. And when we live in this distorted thinking, when our mind is unrenewed, we find ourselves falling then into predictable behavior patterns because everything else flows from that. See, what I believe about myself, others, and God impacts how I feel about the world around me. And how I feel about the world around me will let me know how I behave on the other side. See, your behavior, everything that you do in life is connected to what you believe about yourself, about the world, about God, about other people. A few weeks ago, I used an example of jumping spiders. Do you remember that? I didn't realize that that would cause quite the viral moment, but so many people have texted me or inquired about that, or if people are at our home, they, can I see the jumping spiders? You know, and I didn't realize that this would create such a hullabaloo, but it's interesting because all of us have very different reactions to jumping spiders, and it's been fascinating to see the different reactions to the jumping spiders. I have had grown men at our home that when they see the jumping spiders, they scream like a little schoolgirl, and back away. And then Christina watched our home while we were on vacation last week, and she's like, oh, this is so cool. I can't wait to take care of the jumping spiders. It's so interesting how many different beliefs about the jumping spiders there are. Some people look at them, and they believe that they are going to bite their head off and that that's the end of their lives. Other people see them as cute, cuddly little creatures, and there's all things in between. But here's the thing. What we believe about the jumping spider informs how we feel about them. Some people look at them and they believe that they're going to harm them or that they're going to crawl on them or that they're going to kill them. And so they respond out of horror and terror and, and they pull back. Other people are intrigued and so they pull in because they're wondering about the mystery of it and it informs their behavior. Other people are like, this is cool, let me get into it. And it all has to do with how we think about the jumping spiders. See, because how we believe about the world informs how we feel, and how we feel informs how we engage around us. And this is why we are called to renew our minds. 
in an act of love for him because your inner world will always determine your external reality and never the other way around. That what's going on in your mind will determine the reality that you live in. And by renewing your mind, you can actually renew your life. See, in 1 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, it tells us this about what's taking place in our mind as we are called to love God. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Do you ever feel like your mind is like a war zone? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this is the imagery that, that Paul uses when he's talking about this. He, he uses imagery like war and weapons and fighting. And, and do you ever feel in your mind like you're just a little bit crazy? I mean, some of you may feel like a lot crazy, but maybe you feel like a little crazy because of this war that's going on internally within you. I mean, how many of you have ever found yourself where you know exactly what you are supposed to do and then you just do something opposite? And while you're doing the opposite thing, you're going, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but for some reason, this seems like a good option right now. And it feels like you're crazy in the moment, right? But like when you know, you're like, I, I know I'm not supposed to put this double-double In-N-Out burger in my mouth, hypothetically. And, and as you're doing it, you're going, this is awful for me, but you just keep doing it, right? Or as you're, you're, you're yelling at your spouse or your kids or your best friend or a coworker, you're like, why are these words coming out of my mouth? This is not what's supposed to be coming out of my mouth right now, and yet you keep doing it. It's crazy-making. Or there are things that you know that you ought to do and you don't do them. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, how many times have we found ourselves, I know I'm supposed to go to the gym today. And you sit there on the sofa and you eat popcorn, hypothetically. And then you may find yourself going, I know I'm supposed to make that phone call and make that right. I know I'm supposed to say, would you please forgive me to that person over there that I wronged. I know that I'm supposed to go make amends and you refuse to. It is crazy making, right? And it feels like there is a war zone going on in our minds. And this is exactly what Paul talks about here in 2 Corinthians. This, by the way, is why knowledge is not enough. Because you can know the right things. And in a war zone, and it makes no difference whatsoever. Because here's the thing. Like I said, I've actually found that most people know what to do. That in our context here in 2024, it is not an issue of not knowing what to do. And even if we don't know what to do, like I said, we know where to go. You can actually pull an app up and have a therapist conversation with ChatGBT for free right now. And it will give you some pretty good recommendations as to how you should engage your mental health and what you ought to do and what not to do. And this is the world that we live in, and so it is not a knowledge problem. In your pocket right now, you have every single piece of information that you could ever want at your disposal on your phones. See, what we do not need is more data. In fact, I think that's part of the problem, is that we have so much data that we've become apathetic in knowing what we ought to do in the world. See, what is needed is to take our existing thoughts captive. This is what Paul calls us to do. He doesn't say you need more data. He says you need to take the existing thoughts that are running through your head that are creating a war zone and take them captive. And this, this is where we lose the battle with love in our laziness to keep 
fighting and take captive the thoughts that live inside of us. See, because I don't know if you're anything like me, but for most of us, our thoughts have a hold of us. We do not have a hold of our thoughts. And it is impossible to take something captive that already has you captured. And this is where we find ourselves. It is nearly impossible to love God when we are held in a prison of our own thoughts. Which, by the way, where we hold the key to the cell. See, here's what I found is that most of us relate to our thoughts about us, about God, about other people, about the world, about our circumstances, as if they are categorically true. And here's the thing. We don't even pause to ask ourselves this question. Is this thought that I'm having right now actually true? Is this actually reality? Or is this something that I have made up? Is this something that has come against the knowledge of God that is simply coming into my brain space right now? How often do we take a thought and just take it on as if it was categorically true? We just find ourselves thinking, well, I don't have enough. And we don't challenge that thought. We don't challenge whether or not that's true. We just assume, I don't have enough. I don't have enough time, I don't have money. You don't understand, I don't have enough. It's crazy when people want to have enough, they find time for the television shows, or they find time for the Starbucks, or they find money for whatever it may be. But in the moment, I just don't have enough. Or we find ourselves thinking things like, I can't. I can't do this. That, I can't do that. I, I, no, I, that's not for me. Never. That No. I, I simply can't. And we just assume that it's categorically true, or, or I'll never be able to, or I'm so tired. Have you ever wondered why we don't actually challenge the thought that comes in our head that we're so tired? I mean, I, I talk to everyone all the time. How are you doing? I'm busy. I'm tired. Have you thought to think if that's actually categorically true? It might be. But see, we don't actually pause to consider, is the thought that is coming into my head right now actually true? Or is this a thought that I get to take captive and make it obedient to the knowledge of Christ? See, we rarely pause to consider, is this actually a lie that is informing how I am living so we begin living the lies we tell ourselves as if they were absolutely true. My favorite movie of all time is Inception. If you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. It might be rated R, and don't hold me against that. But uh, it's a great movie, and, and it's this plot around Leonardo DiCaprio having this ability to enter into people's dreams and to plant a thought in their mind. And the, the idea was that if he could plant a thought into someone's mind, then that thought could take root and he could get out of their dreams and impact their behavior by simply implanting a sentence into their mind. Such a cool idea, right? And I, I, I one day was thinking, why do I love this movie? I mean, there's a lot of great cinematography. The, the concepts around it are beautiful. The music, the score by Hans Zimmer is incredible. But I began thinking, why, why do I love this movie so much? And I realized this is what happens to all of us every single day. All it takes is a thought being planted into your mind to take down your entire life. All it takes is one thought. You don't have enough. God isn't who he says he is. People shouldn't be trusted. They're going to let you down like they did before. If you go out on that limb, you're just going to fall, so don't try. All it takes is a thought. It takes one thought incepted into our mind to ruin our existence. 
But here's the beautiful thing. And the way that God has actually established our thoughts and given us free will is that it only takes one thought to elevate our lives as well. It only takes one thought to say, no, 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 I refuse to think this lie and I take that captive and I choose this truth that God has spoken over me. And so it begins to transform how we engage the world around us. And this is the way that we love God with our minds is that we begin examining the thoughts that are running us and asking the question, is this categorically true or is this a lie? And choosing to make those lies captive. See, we must take our thoughts and make them obedient to Christ to listen. Listen to this language. I mean, this is such powerful language that we miss, that we are not victims to our thoughts. We are never held captives by the thoughts that come into our head and want to take roots, but by directing our thoughts to God, subjugating them to his truth, we simultaneously love God and we take back our freedom. It releases us. And this is the beautiful reality that God invites us into, that by loving him, it actually releases us into freedom with how we believe about ourselves, the world, God, and people around us. Colossians has so much to say about this. And in chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, the scriptures have actually been telling people to elevate their thoughts long before motivational speakers made billions of dollars on this. This is like a core part of who the scriptures is and what, what it's telling us. I love people just in culture who live in a space of elevated thinking. People always ask me, Nathan, why do you love Disney so much? It's not that I love going on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride and it's a small world, trust me. But when I step into Disneyland, I step into the imagination of Walt Disney himself. And when you look at his life and you study the way he thought about things, he, he actually saw a world that did not exist yet. He saw possibilities for all kinds of entertainment and all kinds of experiences and ways that people could live with one another and expand their thinking. And then he went out and created it. And we are inspired by women and men who had elevated thinking about the world around them. Whether it was Martin Luther King Jr. or Steve Jobs or Henry Ford, we can look at these individuals who, who had amazing thoughts about what could be and what life could look like, and they stepped into that. Now, that, that is an example of what takes place in culture when people elevate their thinking. But there's something so powerful spiritually when we elevate our thinking because there is a world of thinking that moves us beyond what is available here and now on this earth and moves us into heavenly elevated thoughts that transform everything around us. See, lower level thinking is limited by what I can see here and now, but elevated thinking is transformed by promise and faith. I'm no longer bound by just what I have in front of me, but I, I hold on to the promises and the truth and the resources that are now available to me in Christ. 
See, lower level thinking is always about what feels good and looks good in the moment. If it feels good, buy it. If it looks good, get it. Do what you need to do to get your kicks. And that is what lower level thinking asks. But the elevated thinking looks at the eternal. And it wonders, what is the legacy that I get to leave in controlling my thoughts, my behaviors, my attitudes, so that I can actually move my legacy forward into the future for what's next? Lower level thinking. It's, it's always, always about what's possible because of your past. You always are looking back going, well, I can't do that because that's what took place and that's not possible for me. And in our family, we don't do that. And we look back at our past about what we have and what we don't have and what has been given to us and what hasn't been given to us. And that determines what's possible. But elevated thinking looks to the cross and says, because God himself has come for me, all things are possible. And so my past is actually irrelevant to the future that God is calling me into. See, there is a world of difference between elevated thinking and lower level thinking. See, lower level thinking is always driven by fear. And elevated thinking is always informed by love. And this is the way that God invites us to love him with our mind, to elevate our things that are beyond just what is here on this earth, but into the future that God has created for us. But here's the thing. Setting your thoughts on things above, taking them captive every single day, every single moment, examining them and asking the question, is this categorically true? It actually takes work. It actually requires us to do the hard spiritual work of sorting through the thoughts that come at us and the thoughts that flow through us and examining them in light of who Jesus is and who he has called us to be. But this is the way that we love God, by elevating our thoughts and renewing our mind and taking our thoughts captive. This is how we love the Lord our God with all of our mind. See, in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, it says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are only discerned through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Now, we could pause right there. And most people do. Who knows the mind of the Lord? But Paul continues and he says, but we have the mind of Christ. See, if Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died and he came back to life so that we could be connected to God and it gives us access to him and in that process, we are actually given not just the heart of God, but we are given the mind of God, then we have access to the very thoughts of the creator of the universe. See, if people who follow Jesus actually knew, not just know as a good idea, but knew at their core who they were and what they're worth and what they're capable of and the calling that is on their life, not because of how awesome that they are, but because of the power that has been bestowed on them because of the cross, not only would they be transformed, but our world would be transformed in an instant. See, if we knew, if we knew who we were, because of the work of Jesus, everything would be transformed. See, if Jesus went to the cross so that we could have access to the very mind of God, to his thoughts, to his reality, then it is a sin to think smaller. 
It is going against the inheritance that has been bought for you on the cross to think any less than the fullness of God that is available to you. See, we love God with our mind every time we reject a lie that comes into ourselves. We love God every time we reject an identity that longs to impress itself upon us. We love God every single time there is an invitation to be anxious, to despair, to hopelessness, and we say, no, thank you. I am not interested in entertaining that thought. I am interested in elevating my thinking to things on above that have already been paid for for me. I'm not interested in playing these small games with these small thoughts. And in this way, we make it obedient to Christ and love him. Now, unfortunately, this doesn't happen overnight. Wouldn't it be nice? This is, this is like the, the slow work of becoming like Jesus. Guess what? We will go to our graves with the need to renew our minds. We will go to our graves with the need to take our thoughts captive. We will go to our graves still rooting out the lies and the insecurities and the bitterness that we have taken hold of. I always thought when I hit 40 that all my insecurities would somehow go away. I know that you are over 40, laugh at that. <laughs> Those of you who are under 30, 40, just get ready. But they don't. In fact, some of them just become worse. And so in this, it is a continual process. But I love this. Because it is a continual reminder that we are reliant on the Spirit of God and that we never outgrow our need to love God with our mind. That we will never mature out of needing to love him fully with every thought that comes into our existence. Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, two weeks ago we talked about this call to guard our hearts so that they do not become hard, so that they do not become bitter, that they do not become disconnected. And in this passage, we are called to guard not only our hearts, but our minds. So that every thought that comes into our mind might be filtered through the truth, the beauty, the reality of Jesus. And then he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What would it look like if we just decided that every single thought that came into our mind must be noble? must be pure, must be admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. 
See, when you decide that you will think about what is true or a lie, when you decide that you are going to love God with your mind and you are not just going to accept your thoughts as if they are categorically true, you actually begin to release truth, not only over your life, but in the lives of people around you. See, when you decide that you are going to think noble thoughts over dishonorable thoughts, you actually release honor in your life. When you decide that you are going to think right thoughts over false thoughts, you actually release righteousness over your life and your community. When you decide that you are going to only engage thoughts that are pure over those that are polluted, you actually release wholeness into your life and the world around you. When you decide that you're going to think what is lovely over what is chaotic, you release order into the chaos around you. When you decide that that whatever is admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, that you release peace into your life and into the people around you. This is the power of loving God with our mind, that it honors him and the thoughts that he has about us but it releases us from the grip of the falsehood that so many of us have just bought into as true. And you align your thoughts with the mind of Christ, you release love. See, when you take ownership of your inner world, when you decide that you are no longer victim to your thoughts and that your thoughts do not determine what's possible or not possible, when you decide to take back the power that has been given to you to take every thought captive, to take every pretension, to take every argument in your head and subjugate it to the knowledge of Christ, not only do you take mastery of your inner world, but you take mastery of your outer world because it will begin to seep out in how you relate to your work and how you relate to your finances and how do you relate to your friends, to your children, to your community to your home. It will will just impact every single arena that you live in. When we own our inner world, it orders our outer world. And the world right now needs people who are willing to love God with their mind by taking ownership of their thoughts and to take them captive and to say, these will no longer control me or inform me or determine who I am or not, or determine what's possible or not possible, but to elevate them above the thoughts of this earth into heavenly places. And then through that, releasing peace and love in the world. See, the church has grown mentally lazy as we have grown rich in knowledge. And if we are going to become people of revival, we will learn to love the Lord our God with every single one of our thoughts. We will take them captive and we will refuse to let them have mastery over us. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? I'd like for you to think right now about a reoccurring thought that you have that you internally know is not true, that you struggle with, that you, it challenges you. It could be, like I said earlier, I, I, I don't have enough, or God isn't going to come through, or, or maybe it sounds something like, well, God loves other people more than he loves me, or maybe there's a circumstance in your life 
that you've just decided is insurmountable. Like, I just have to deal with this. Maybe there's something in your relationships that you struggle with. Bitterness, resentment, being offended. And you find your mind constantly being drawn into these distortions of truth about who you are about who other people are, about who God is. And, and here's how I know that it's a distortion of the truth if there's no room for me to even question it. If it's like, but Nathan, you don't understand. You don't understand my circumstances. But Nathan, you don't understand what's in my bank account. But Nathan, you don't understand the history. But Nathan, you don't understand I've tried. That just lets you know right now it's a lie or there's some distortion of truth in there. And I want you just to, to hold that thought in your in your mind right now that, that holds you captive at times. That, that thought that, that longs to draw you from the thoughts above into the thoughts below, that longs to hold you captive rather than you hold it captive. And I want you just to ask the Spirit of God right now. God, what is the noble thought that you want to replace this with? What is the right thought that you long to replace this with? What is the pure thought that this pollution of thinking has impacted me with? What is the lovely thought? What is the beautiful thought that you long to give me to replace this? What is the admirable, admirable or excellent or praiseworthy thought that you long to give me in lieu of this distorted lie that is lower level thinking. And would you just ask the Spirit of God to replace it with that truth right now? Just to take it and to say, God, I'm, I'm done with this lie. I'm done with this distortion. I'm done with this smaller thinking. And I choose to take on this new thought. And this week, as you go about your days, as you pray and work and play and eat, as you engage with family and friends and community, I'm going to ask that you would think this new thought, this noble, lovely, pure, honorable, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy thought, as an act of love all week long. And that every time you think this new thought, you're like, man, this is how I love God. I choose to no longer entertain these lies, these distortions. I choose no longer to lower my thinking given that the cross has given me access to the mind of God. I choose no longer to do that, God. And so out of love, I choose this new thought. And that this week we would love God with our mind. And I believe that we will watch God move in such powerful ways. This is the beautiful thing about this is that as we love God with our mind, he loves us back and releases us into freedom. It's a win-win proposition. So Holy Spirit, right now, I ask that you would take these offerings of lies that we have taken on, that at times have held us captive, that at times have held us imprisoned, by smaller, lower, earthly thinking, and we hand them to you as an offering of love today, God. 
And as an act of love, we take on these new thoughts, these new truths, which are lovely and true and pure and admirable and right and excellent and praiseworthy. And we will love you with our mind. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before we wrap up today and Leslie comes out, I wanna let you know we have two more weeks of this revival season. Two more weeks. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to fight the good fight and to finish the race and keep the faith. And for some of you, I say this every week, for some of you, you may have fallen off the wagon and maybe you're like, ah, I'm guilty, I forgot about that thing. I haven't prayed in three weeks. Please release all that. Maybe you're like, oh yeah, that fasting thing. I've been eating all week like a crazy person. Just let it go, all right? And let's get back onto this because even that is a distortion of the truth. I failed once, therefore I'm a failure. Why try? See, because it's not about the action, it's about the attitude of heart and it's about the thoughts that we engage. So let's together collectively finish strong. For the next 14 days, let's seek God like we have not sought him before with our heart, with our soul, with our mind. Next week, we're gonna talk about pursuing him fully with our bodies, with our strengths, and let's see God move in such a powerful new way in us and through us. There's gonna be some really powerful, beautiful things coming in the next few weeks. I, I feel it in my bones. So thank you, guys. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.